Thank you for joining us. Appreciate sure. it. Speaking more optimistically, how's the city of Houston rebounding? Day by day. I mean, things are in pretty good shape. There are areas of the city that are going to be a long time rebuilding. And there's an issue with immigrants being afraid to go and ask for government assistance for fear they'll be deported. That's mm. a byproduct of the Trump era. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, if you drove around most of the city, you would um, you would not notice anything. So, so the the area that was hardest hit is like maybe five percent of the greater city of Houston. Yeah, well, you know, we were I think about sixty percent of the county was underwater at one point. Wow. And uh, but yeah, uh, the part that they had to open spillways and and, and got a hit again. Uh, there's a larger question about what should be there. Did we did we not? Pl- plant enough grassland and overbuild and all of that stuff. That, that's a different conversation. All right. Um, if you could quantify it, Rich, uh, the, the winning of the championship by the Astros, kind of like the aftermath of the terrible uh, Ma- Boston Marathon bombing brought the city together and the ball club, they all coalesced behind the, 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 the ball club that won that last championship in Boston. How much did the, did the spirits of the city get lifted by the the Astros run there? I think significantly, you know, I mean, I think the Astros handle it perfectly. A.J. Hinch, along with the mayor, Sylvester Turner, almost became the conscience of the city. The things he said, he cried one day in Tampa when the club was displaced and playing in Tampa and said uh, he'd gotten uh, photos from his neighbors who had rescued a child from water (laughs) that morning from a a flooded house, and he, he tears well in his eyes, and he said, I wish I could be there with them uh, right now. And before they played the Mets in a doubleheader, somebody they'd been the day the day before they had been to the uh, George R. R. Brown Center, where almost ten thousand misplaced people had been housed at one mm. point. And uh, they, somebody asked the question, "Hey, what are you going to say to your players to get them to clear their minds and just be able to play ball?" And he said, uh, "Oh, I, I don't want I don't want their minds cleared." I, he goes, I, "I want them to know that we're part of this community too." And uh, we're going to be part of the reconstruction. And the players are even, they're out today doing stuff. Um, and that won't end. They did, the, the club, the franchise did itself proud. You know, and it was such an easy team to root for. I, I think they knew that, you know, they didn't drain any flood water or put any sheet rot back up, although some players did all of those things. Yep. And, um, um, but for a couple hours each day, it was a, it was a nice distraction. There was an unbelievable photo of this these people in a house that basically had nothing but a couple of chairs and a TV cheering uh, for the Astros to win. I don't know, you know, when you've been 56 years without a championship, I don't know if the emotions could be any greater, but uh, that that certainly played into it. And it felt like, again, A.J. Hinch's best line was, we're always asking a city to rally around a team. Well, it's okay to ask a team, team to rally, to rally around, around a city. city. Yeah. Excellent point. Rich, not to trivialize it, does ownership okay the Justin Verlander trade without the flooding issue? Or or was did the owner decide, hey, damn it, we, we need to do something here to, to really be special? Well, uh, you know, they tried to get him uh, at, at the trade deadline and mm-hmm. couldn't do it. I think just as significant was that the club was playing poorly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they had a losing month in August. They were not in danger of losing the division, 
but they didn't look like a playoff team. And they had a bunch of guys hurt. You know, AJ, uh, Lance McCullers' situation was uh, was uncertain. And you know, frankly, the bullpen the bullpen was terrible. That's what people remember. The bullpen was terrible in the postseason. But two months before the end of the season, it looked like they had a dominant bullpen. And I, I think all that factored in. And finally, Jeff Luno called Jim Crane. And let me just paraphrase, but at 11 o'clock that morning on the day to set the rosters, the final day to make a trade, uh, Justin Verlander told the Tigers, no way. I'm going to the Cubs or I'm going to the Dodgers. And they finally told him, you know, less than an hour before the deadline, this is your only choice. And and as much as as much as – he did for the Astros. They won every one of his regular season starts. Um, I think he would tell you the club did a lot for him too. Yeah. I think you know he, he when they one of their celebrations he he said this is the happiest bunch of people I have ever been around. <laughs> and uh, in Game Two of the World Series, they're going to lose the game. They're going to go down 0-2. And uh, Marwin Gonzalez hits a ball over the center field wall against the best closer in baseball, yep. Kenley Jansen. And I'm outside the Astros clubhouse in Dodger Stadium, and all I hear is screaming. And somebody, I said, "Wow, what's that?" And they said, "That's Verlander." And uh, when they, you know, they won, they tied the game, took the lead, lost the game, won the game. It was one of those games you had to win like three times. And uh, and he was the guy that went back in the dugout yelling at them. And he said later, he said, "They they don't know how good they are." And, and I think the energy of the group. I think I think he, he was I think he was very happy that he came here, but at the day as the as the thing ground, ground down and Jeff Luno and Al Avila tried to make a deal, Jeff finally called his owner Jim Crane and said I can't get the money right I just can't do it and Jim Crane told him uh, just make the deal just yeah. make the deal now I I think that was we want to win a championship here and we're not right now we're not good enough to win a championship and even when you get in the postseason a hundred different things have to happen you know I mean. They won a game. They won a game six and seven against the Yankees. They won a game seven against the Dodgers. When in the you know some of the two of the World Series games were as crazy as any games you'll ever see in yep. your life, and you know it comes down to a coin flip. Carlos Correa hit a home run in Game Five of the World Series, and I you know you get caught up in these numbers. It had a it was 111 miles an hour off the bat, but it had a 48 degree launch angle. In other words, he had a ball straight up in the air and it got out of the park wow. and. Just stuff like that happened. George Springer misplays a ball and then hits a ball 500 feet uh, on the, like the second pitch of the next inning. So it was, it was a cool thing to be around after. I'd never seen so many people crying on the field after game seven. I saw George Springer's dad, who I know really well, and he said, don't even look at me. You could tell he was barely <laughs> holding it together. And he points at George's mom, and she's not holding it together. And I think that, to me, typified what it meant to the club, to the city, and to a lot of people. Even, you know, I had people in the city, you weren't rooting for the ball team. You were rooting for the ball team, but you were rooting for the city. I had so many people tell me, um, you know, like, I don't even like baseball that much. Right. Uh, but I got into this, yeah. and I would go, I've gone around and asked people, at any point in the playoffs, did you cry? One guy told me, come on, what are you talking about? I didn't cry. And uh, his wife said, Game six, seven against the Yankees, you sure did have tears running down your eyes. Hey, so that's you, what it meant to people. Hey, you alluded to the fact that uh, the club, uh, that Justin did a lot for the, the Astros, but they did a lot for him. Uh, I think it was you that wrote a little bit about the difference in his numbers were so staggering, and part of that was his embrace late in the season 
of some sabermetrics or, you know, a different way of approaching his pitching. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, they're, you know, and some of the things they do, and the Dodgers are right in there too, they're just smarter than everybody else. They're just a little bit ahead of the curve. And sometimes it's hard to get players to embrace it. Justin was a guy that didn't just embrace it. He wanted more. Give me more. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. And they did things like, you know, a year ago at this time, Charlie Morton was a free agent, and he, he didn't know if he was going to get a major league offer. The Astros offered him a two-year deal and told him, said, you've got to throw your curveball. And we don't mean 5% more, 10% more. You're going to throw your curveball. And Lance McCullers Jr. has arguably the best curveball in baseball. Or, you know, it's in the conversation. He finished a game against the Yankees. Charlie yep. pitched the first five. Lance pitched the last four. And I think he finished the game with something like 17 straight curveballs. And the point is, emphasize your strength. Ken Giles, the closer who struggled in the postseason, he throws 100 miles an hour, but the league hits 300 off that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. The league does not hit his slider. Uh, you know, when it's a good one, it's it's one of those Brad Lidge type sliders. Mm-hmm. They hit like one eighteen. So what do you, what in a in a key situation? What are you going to do now? You do have to reverse that, and you you know you have to. Stan, let me just say one thing about pace of play. Yeah. One of the things that's causing the games to be so slow is the paranoia, and especially in the postseason, the Astros got to the point where Brian McCann was almost walking to the mound to give the signs, and that's because you don't know who knows what. You don't know where the cameras are, the microphones are, anything. And, uh, and uh, you know, the players and owner and Rob Manfred are going to meet next week. But p- part of that is in this technology-driven age that is, you know, teams are embracing these analytics, the launch angle, get the ball in the air, that's how you make your money, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's complicated. Stealing signs is more complicated or more there are more ways to steal signs than there's ever been before, and I don't know how you get around that. But but in in one way, and I hear you with if it slows down to the paranoia, there's more time to steal the signs. If you move at a crisper pace, right, that it lessens the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the Red Sox got in trouble for having the um, was it an, um, somebody watching video back in the hallway relayed mm-hmm. to a guy with an Apple Watch. Uh, relayed to, I guess, a coach, then to the batter. Well, you know what? That's like, uh, you know, teenagers spreading gossip. By the time he gets to the hitter, you don't know what, you know, you got to be careful. And, you know, there were players, I think Eddie Murray was one, as I remember. Don't t- I don't want to know that stuff. But, of course, Eddie was different. See ball, yeah. hit ball, you know, he was, at, he was in a different level. Yeah, so, Justin, um, how you hit hitters, you know, wh- what you do, what you have done in the past, how we evaluate you and all of that. They were recruiting a guy once, and uh, uh, and the guy said, uh, "Can I see my scouting report on you, uh, on me, your scouting report on me?" And and they showed it to him, and uh, he didn't sign yeah, with that's him. Interesting. So he, that's he interesting. He knew how he was going to get pitched, but you know, if you execute the pitch, it doesn't really matter. Hey, uh, I think about a guy like Clemens. It, it, what Clemens would have done with this stuff? Yeah, he would. He would have eaten it up. And he might have won thirty games a couple of times. Hey, Richard, it's uh, Bonza. Um, I you mentioned pace of play, and obviously that was a hot topic back when there were rumors about the uh, putting a runner on second in the tenth right. inning and such. And personally, I'm not a fan of uh, doing something like that. But you brought up a good point, and I did notice during the World Series, it just seemed like 
every three or four pitches, there was always a meeting at the mound, and right. it would always it's almost kind of like a buzzkill. And you could hear it with the fans as well, especially when the opponent team, the road team, is the one doing the mound visits. It's just a shower of booze. Do right. you think they should reduce the amount of meetings they have at the mound? Because I think that would be a good way, especially in the playoffs, to help speed the pace of play. Because only one time do I remember a game really going less than three hours, and that was game one of the World Series. Right, when, when Clayton was so dominant. Right. Um, that is, you know, these are things, like I know what the commissioner wants to do. We all do. He wants to put the pitch clock in. Yeah. Right. And uh, it worked well at AA, AAA, scouts, Stan, I know you talked to a lot of guys. Yeah. The guys that were in the Arizona Fall League say after like 20 minutes, the pitch clock disappears, and you, you don't even know it's there. Yeah. And then you leave the game, and you thought, dang, that did have a better cris- a crisper pace. And you've, I've seen it with guys, especially when the Oakland A's call up young pitcher. I noticed this. Oakland just happened to be the team I've noticed. Their pitchers worked at a much better clip, mm-hmm. a much better clip. And, uh, but on the other hand, if you've got David Price or Justin Verlander, or, you know, and I think Scherzer works at a pretty good pace. Yeah. But, if, but if you've got a, an established guy that is deliberate in how he does things, you're going to say you've got to change everything. Now, I've asked pe- people – I've asked players like Aaron Boone and all, and they said, hey, they, everybody will adjust. And what Commissioner Manfred has to sell is this is in the best interest of the game. I really don't think it impacts. You know, I, it may get people, normal fan, uh, fans of, that are not fans of those two teams to turn off the TV. But I don't think it I, – I think – it just increases the tension. I don't think I don't think Astros fans they they, they sat through a five hour and seventeen minute World Series game. I don't think one of them were complaining. Now, if they lost the Fair game, point. <laughs> lost the game, pace of play would have been the first thing. Well, you know, <laughs> when you talk pace of play to me, I begin and end with the umpires, and, and I really think we're coming in the next couple of years. There's going to be an electronic uh, home plate ball and strike umpire. Well, that's a. Uh, uh, I know that's a game changer in a lot of ways, but you know, right. video was, and I think people have overall they've embraced video. They like they like having things precisely drawn. You know, I, I right. just think it's there. It's it's there, and it's better for the game. And Jim Leland said he would always get so annoyed when an umpire would go, "Guys throwing a ninety six ninety, let's say a ninety two mile an hour slider or ninety seven mile an hour. What was it? Wade Davis has thrown a hundred mile an hour cutter." Right, <laughs> and the umpire will go, "Oh, Jimmy, just you know, is just inch mess. off the corner, there. yeah, inch off the <laughs> and corner." And he's going, "You can't see it. I can't see it. The hitter <laughs> can't see it. Don't tell me it was an inch off the corner." And the 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 point of that would be that the stuff is amazing now. You know, I don't know that Walter Johnson and when Walter Johnson pitched, if there was anything called a cutter. I think Sandy Koufax threw what did he throw a, a hard curveball? Yeah, he was and a fastball. Yep. And, uh, you know, and he threw a curveball that was a gigantic curveball like Clayton Kershaw throws and a hard one. I, I, there are pitches now, I mean, well, when, when did the slider come? When was the slider born? You know, Earl used to scream about the slider. And I did, my point is, is that the stuff is, the pitchers are so good now, I don't know how you differentiate from balls and strikes. And it's some of what, where the catcher sets up. You know, that's why... The Stan, the Cubs had a meeting a couple of years ago among all their baseball staff. They brought all the scouts in. 
do we want our catcher to be a pitch blocker or a pitch framer? Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, steal strikes. And uh, and, uh, and what they vote for? Yeah, they voted oh well for I framing don't the, for framing. I don't know what the scouts voted for? Yeah, overwhelmingly. They said because a pitch blocker impacts how many pitches a game? Yeah, five, six, five six, to ten, seven. Two, yeah, you know. But a pitch framer. Now you're talking 50, 60, 70 pitches. You win games. Catchers who can frame pitches can steal strikes for their pitchers, win games. And I've had guys, um, I think Terry Kennedy, a Cub Scout, you remember he pitched, played for the, for the Orioles. He was the he only did, Oriole to attend Edward Bennett Williams' funeral. Right. He told me he's gone back and looked at video of certain catchers, and I, I can't remember who it is. It's somebody prominent in the game. And he says, I, I swear to God, I cannot steal. I cannot see the guy's glove move, and yet I know he's stealing strikes for, the, for his pitcher. He goes, it's, it's, there's such an art to, to that that, um, that that's, it's unappreciated of how important it is to the game. Now, you, I'm not a big fan of the robotic eye. I know Stan is a big advocate for it, but I'll be honest. I don't know if I noticed it more because it is the postseason and every pitch counts, but the strike zone overall during the month of October was just atrocious to me. I don't know if you saw it the same way, Richard. Well, um, it's every night. Mm-hmm. Every night. I think the biggest complaint players have is with the strike ball strike zone call. And you see umpires get – I mean, you see players get frustrated, pitchers get frustrated, hitters get frustrated. And – Maybe it's not that I don't know that umpires are doing a better job. I think they do a great job, but because of the, you know, Fox now has this slow motion camera, yeah. and I think a lot. Of, I think Masson may have it. Too. I don't know if Masson has it, but a lot of the regional sports carriers have it, and it just. How would you like to work in a job where every mistake yeah. is is sliced open right. to see? And again, the movement on the pitches is is different than we've ever had before in the history of the game. I nope. mean. Nestor Shylock, Doug Harvey. Yeah. Doug, try to call Mariano Rivera's cutter. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, I, I, I go back, though, to it almost as an economical decision, though, at a certain point in time. I can't, I can't tell you if a, if a pitcher only has so many bullets in his arm, I, I just I hate when I have to see True. a pitcher labor 20 or 30 extra pitches because one was – mistakenly called well, well, at a you know, key moment in time. And uh, we would poke fun at Ray Miller for saying this. Yeah. But after Flanny or, or McGregor games, he would say, you know, it really was one pitch. And that's true. I, yeah. I always had NBA coaches would tell me, you give me two rebounds during the game, mm-hmm. and I can win the game. Unbelievable. And, but, but in that case, I, I guarantee Palmer would say that. Two pitches, you give me two calls. At a, at a key point, and I'm going to win. The, it's going to turn the game. And, hey, and Rich. players have never, I, you know, I, I said to Fernando Rodney one time, I said, I don't know how you kept your composure out there. <laughs> I mean, he got he got squeezed in a couple of games. One game I remember, and uh, he goes, <laughs> he looked at me and goes, are you kidding? What choice do I have? They will run me out of the game. <laughs> hey, let me throw about five topics at you, quick answers, okay? All right. Why did Joe Girardi get fired? Uh, communication with the players, mm-hmm. communication with the front office, and the, I think the number one thing is they felt they needed a different voice for this young generation of Yankees. You have to 
Player relationships are the most important thing a manager does right now. How about uh, J.D. Martinez? Where does he end up? I said San Francisco since day one, but the only offer appears to be Boston. I know he doesn't want a DH, but in that outfield, you're not going to play the outfield. So it's Scott Boris. We never know. I just still think the San Francisco Giants make the most sense. Was was it right for the Major League Baseball owners to allow Derek Jeter's group to end up with the team when they, they, they had to have known that they were going to have to make those kind of substantive cuts? Baseball wanted Derek Jeter in the game. Yeah. And that's the bottom line as far as all – I would say it's important to give him a chance. I know some of the baseball ops people very well. And they say nice things. But, you know, what you want and what you, you've had a battered fan base yep. there. And, and they deserve better. And so now you're tearing it down again. I mean, they've been through this too many times. You know, people say, well, South Florida's not a good baseball town. We don't know that. Yep. Miami's a huge, huge city with a diverse population and a population with a Latino culture of people who have baseball in their background. But when you basically hang a sign out saying, please don't come see these, these, right. this team play, they're probably not going to show up. So my, I'm gonna just going to say I'm going to give Derek Jeter every chance to succeed, uh, but no one likes to see players like this traded. Where will Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette be when the 2019 <laughs> season starts? I think Buck will be in Baltimore. I don't know the role. Um, and I think that this is the know. tricky one. Yeah. Well, what I hope is that they work it out. Yeah, I, I agree because I think Dan's been a really great good. together. They are great together. Yep. And I and if it were up to me, I would give them. I would tell them, okay, now I know you guys disagree on some things, but that's okay. Every general manager, every manager disagrees on things. We got to work together. And I would just say, let's give Dan, you know, not a hundred percent decision making authority. But as much as any owner could turn a franchise over to his guy, here in Houston you can ask the owner about certain things you're talking about, and he won't even know. I mean, he trusts Jeff Luno to to run it. Now, I'm I'm not saying you don't want to – you have to make a guy justify it and explain what he's doing, and the guy should be able to do that. Um, I I don't know. I hope they work it out. Shohei Otani, what kind of season does he have? Ten wins, 20 homers. Somebody okay. said in the I was on Jody McDonald's show on WFAN last week. He goes, he goes, ten wins, twenty five homers. He goes, that's the American League MVP. I said, <laughs> well, it might be, but he's going to have to beat out his teammate there. Yeah, <laughs> um, Manny Machado. Where does he start? And, and the by t- the way, that changes the game forever. Yeah, if he can do this, it hasn't been done in ninety nine years. Yep. Bruce last year in Boston, and you know the Rays used the fourth or fifth pick in the draft on a kid that did both this past year. Brendan McKay from Louisville. And teams, you know, scouts always argue, is he a hitter or a pitcher? We, we can't figure it out because they do both in college. Well, maybe we have to take another, another approach. Ha- My ki- kid here from the, where I live, Brett Eibner, the Dodgers, sent him down to learn how to pitch again. He pitched at Arkansas and played center field. He blew out his arm, but when he comes back next year, they're still hoping he can be two roster spots. All right. And, you know, where- and he's, he's thrilled to do it because it's the big leagues. You know, the Rays, everybody thinks, you know, the Rays said to Ben Zobers, you can go back down and play shortstop, or you can come up here and have five different gloves. He goes, hmm, I think I'll take the five gloves. Right, right. Manny Machado, where's he end up in 2018 and 19? 
Um, I w- <laughs> I'm going to say. I'm asking uh, the, the tough Yankees. stuff. I'm going to say the Yankees in 19. I don't know about 18. All right. Richard, really appreciate your being on, and uh, I know you'll pass along your condolences to Craig uh, at the appropriate time. Thank you very much for uh, joining us, all right? Thank you. Give my best to Marty, okay? Thank you. All right. Thank you.